I want you to turn to two places in the Bible, Hebrews 11, and then the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, and if you know much about the Bible, you know that Daniel chapter 6 is about Daniel in the lion's den. There's a message there, and I want us to look at it again, but we'll begin Hebrews 11 and verse 33 talking about faith, faith, the message of faith, the biblical faith. I think the Bible says a whole lot more about faith and what it is and what it means than the church in this era or this age does. I think this age is probably more about being busy and doing things that seem right, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the Bible puts far more emphasis on the subject of faith because faith is the only way we can relate to God. The Bible says he that comes to God must believe that he is. I don't say you do. I think a lot of people take that for granted. They just assume that, yeah, all of that's true without me having to investigate it, to find out for myself personally how true it is and be drawn into relationship to God and knowing him that way. We say, well, you know, church is about God, and God is about the church, and Jesus is about God, and, and I believe in all of that, and yeah, I mean, I believe that. I mean, I, I believe all that's true. Well, the devil believes that. You can be sure that what I just said, the devil believes, because the Bible said he believes. The devil acknowledges the things the Bible says. Church people do, too. But there is something that comes out of believing the Bible. As Job said, acquainting now yourself with God, there's something that comes out of that which draws you to God, which gives purpose to your reason for being saved. The Bible says that without faith, it's what? It is impossible to please God. Now, that's why we're here. If you went forward, God baptized, and you're a Christian, you go to church, you are there for one reason. God called you to please him. Not please yourself, but please him. That's first. And then it goes on to say, a man who comes to God must believe that he is. It's all about faith. You can't see him. Most people, probably all of us, we never heard his voice. We don't talk to him in back and forth like we do each other. He tells us to pray. I don't hear him talking back. I don't hear a word coming out of the, the air. I have to believe he hears me, don't you? I have to believe he's there. I have to believe God exists. I have to act like all of that is true. I have to live like he listens and he watches. That's why we have to repent on occasion because what we just said or did, we know we shouldn't have said or done. And we know that we need to be sorry for that. So, I mean, that's what we're taught. So we repent. And a lot of people make fun of that. They think, well, how do you even know there is a God? Well, I believe there's a God. I believe in what the Bible says. I was studying this week about the canon of Scripture, about how it all came about and why we have it and the people involved. It's very interesting. It's pretty detailed and, and a lot of it. But like one person said, without the canon of Scripture, I don't even know that you have any salvation. How would you know what being saved is? You've got to have something to base it on, don't you? And God, who is spirit, has spoken unto us through men. And godly men of old wrote as they were inspired. As God breathed through them, they wrote down the very words that God had them to say. If we didn't have that, we wouldn't know what to say to each other. We couldn't talk about God if we didn't have something that we could look at that describes what we're supposed to do. We're talking about living by faith. Living as though he is. Like Moses who endured all he went through is seeing him who is invisible. Without the ability to prove anything, which we don't have to, we just believe. We are at the mercy of this book and what it says. That's all we've got. And Jesus said one of the major reasons the Holy Spirit comes is to take the words of this book and give meaning to them to your heart. 
And without that, they're just words in a book that everybody has a copy of in their home, carried to church. But as far as the content of this book changing a man's life, they don't. Not a lot of people, but they will yours because of faith. I believe, because faith comes how? By hearing, and hearing by the word. That's all we've got. But boy, the power of it. So there is a faith that I would call a true faith, a true biblical, God-centered, word-grounded faith that compels action to live as though it's true. And then there is an assumed faith. I go to church, I have a Bible, I believe in God. And that's about the extent of what they have, but it doesn't work in difficult times. It's nice to talk about, it's nice to sing about, sing them over again. It's nice to have all the wonderful feelings and songs and things about religion and Christianity. But what good is it if in troublesome times you turn away from it and look for something else because you really don't believe it'll work. It's good, it sounds good, it, preacher talked about it, but I don't know if it'll work or not. And it all goes back, failures, weaknesses, whatever. It goes back to our faith. When Jesus said to Peter, and we'll refer to this again in just a moment, he said, I have prayed for you. The devil has attached himself to your life for a season. He is going to wear you out. I'm not going to stop him. But I pray for what? I pray that your faith fail not. That's all you've got to connect you to God and his power and his deliverance in your life from all these circumstances that all people have to go through. And the only hope you have is that your faith in God will hold fast. So we preach faith because not all people that talk about faith, not everything that people call faith really is biblical faith. As I've said for 30 years, what a lot of people call faith is the church they go to whether it's a Methodist, Baptist, some kind of a name, traditional system of, of religion, and that's called the faith. But the Bible tonight, what we're talking about, is something that from God inspires us to live like what he said is true. I can't prove it. I don't have to. All I have to do to please God is to live like this book is true. And if I have the real deal, if I've got true faith, if I've got real Bible faith, it'll work. Have you found Hebrews 11? Hebrews 11, concerning this true or real Bible faith, I'm going to call the message tonight, the deliverance of true faith. Because that's what it does. It delivers us. Verse 33, talking about faith. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the enemies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and they were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Then it goes on and on and on as God shows us what can happen to a person or what can happen in a person's life when you really trust God. Even raising the dead. But you notice at the end of verse 33, it says, Stopped the mouths of lions. Now, I'm a big fan of animal shows. Lions and hyenas getting into it and, and elephants and all those. Stuff. I like nature. I like animals. I like to watch animal shows. A lion is a terrifying creature, especially if he is wounded and he can't get away from you, and the only thing he can do is attack you. That's his only hope. If he's going down, he's going to take you with him, and he is well able because a 500 pounds of lion is quite a ball of fury. I cannot imagine the story of Daniel. You want to turn to Daniel 6. I cannot imagine... A man being lowered into a den of lions that didn't like you, that had it out for you, 
lions who knew that whatever was lowered in that den where they were was fair game and they could kill it and eat it. And a way of torture or punishment in this hour of Daniel was to take the enemies of the state or the criminals, whatever they were, whatever they did, and just drop them in the den of lions. And you could probably hear them growling and all the ugly things that would happen in a situation like that. But that's what our story tonight is about, because the Bible says God is bigger than a lion. He's bigger than natural law. God is able to suspend the natural law of nature. A man can actually walk on the water when God so decrees it. You know that? Can actually walk on the water. Can actually raise the dead. Can cause the sun to go backwards. There's nothing that God cannot do. All he needs is faith. Because that's what God attributes this power to. It's to faith. Now, Daniel's story about the lion is a story that we all know. I guess all children's books portray Daniel in the lion's den and the pictures, you know, him quietly sitting there with the Big Mac and all these lions around him, smiling at him, loving him like a big kitty cat. I think it was more intense than that. I doubt if Daniel slept that night, but it happened. This is a true biblical event. And as we've said before in the book of Romans, it said the things that were written aforetime, which Daniel was, these things were written, and all the stories in them were written, not just to know what happened historically, but having known what happened once, there's a lesson that we learn from it. That if God could do that in a den of lions, what possible situation could you be in? What peril of your life could you be in here that would be worse or beyond that? And if he could do it then, could he not do it now? If he was able to stop the mouths of lions, what about your current situations or your trials or your problems, whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing? It could be something very perilous, something very grievous. But is God bigger or not? I mean, can he do something about it or not? Listen to what Paul wrote. Paul wrote in, in 2 Timothy 4, he said, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me into his heavenly kingdom. Can he do that? So while I'm in this world, Paul lived in a hostile world. He was a Christian. He lived in a world that was ruled by the Roman Empire, but the local way of life was controlled by Jews, by the Pharisees who were corrupt. And anybody who called themselves a Christian was fair game, just like today in this world. More and more in our society, there is a hatred coming of Christianity, as well as Jews, Jews and Christians. More and more, we want to get rid of all thoughts of God and prayers in school or the Ten Commandments or any idea of mentioning God in any way. Or Whoever writes the article in the local scandal sheet about an atheist, how sad it is that people are living in this world, brief as they live, without any belief, any acceptance of the reality of God. And one day they have to die. And if they don't get turned around, they die in their sin. And then the awful reality is that you are dead forever. The one who came to save you, you said, I don't want you. I don't even believe in you. And so God says, all right, he'll give you up to such a vile passion. If you don't want to believe in God, that's what you get. But he says, God will deliver me from every evil work. I would like to think that anybody who thinks he's going into a dangerous situation anywhere in the world, maybe Louisville, you should know that. You should realize that God hasn't called you to do something without his help. And you're somewhere and you need his help. You need to know what he says about his help. God will deliver you, he said, from every evil work. Now, in Daniel chapter 6, let me give you a few facts about true faith. Some facts. At least four. Fact number one, true faith will always be tested. It will always be put to the test. Anybody can say, I believe God. 
That's easy to say. Church members are trained to think like that. I believe God. But do you really believe it when it's going to cost you something to believe that? In verse 1 of chapter 6, Daniel was one of the big shots. It says in verse 2 that he was one of the three presidents, which simply means one of the chief rulers, chief men, under the king. On the king's behalf, he had three men over his kingdom, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes, these are the under rulers, like governors, that the princes might give accounts unto them daily, and the king should have no damage. He has a big kingdom. In his kingdom, he's got maybe, let's say, three parts. And here's one part Daniel has oversight of. And under Daniel, there are these captains or these princes. And they have those under them. And in order to keep peace in the kingdom so the king doesn't get agitated and disturbed and have to go to war, get his army out, it's the job of these men to keep peace in his kingdom. They're company men. They're working for the king. And so Daniel was a chief, and the king liked Daniel because it said in verse 3, this Daniel was preferred above those, above the presidents and princes. And here's why. Because he had an excellent spirit, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. That was the king's idea. If anybody was going to rule all of this kingdom, it should be Daniel. You know why? Just like the world, when you're in it and you're living the way you should, they can recognize in us whether or not we're governed by an excellent spirit. That is, there's something about us that is inspired of God, that God rules. God has command and control of. God rules us by our consent, not by force. We yield. The Bible speaks of being yielded to God. If we don't yield, he doesn't rule. I want him to rule, don't you? I want him to have oversight of my life and and have the control of my life. But I want to yield it to him so that what I do is out of obedience. Again, before I started tonight, I couldn't do that if I didn't believe he was. You can't make up a God. Well, you can. Totem poles attest to that and, and rocks and sticks carved into images attest to that. They're not God's. There's only one God, and he alone is true, and he alone is the one that we're talking about tonight and who gives the faith that we all want. But Daniel was set in the highest office in the land. He was the one the king liked the most. Now, in verse 4, in verse 4, it said, Then the presidents and the princes thought to find occasion against Daniel. Let me tell you something, because a lot of you young folks are coming into a time in which you might get to rule. Things might get to take place and you get to have a say or you get to be the president. Every man that God ever uses, I think without exception, every time you stand before other people to give the word, state our position, or as the Bible calls it, to rule, The rule, the word simply means to stand before and oversee or be a superintendent. But God holds us accountable as as preachers to do this. Everybody that does this, everybody that God puts in a place of authority, every one of us, every one of you will be tested because somebody will oppose you. may not look like it at first, but somebody will. The Bible warns us about that. We hear about it over and over. And I can say after... 45, going on 46 years of what I'm doing or being in the position that I'm in as a minister. I can't remember a time in which somebody eventually didn't oppose you. Sometimes it was a chief of friends. And you get into it. And sometimes you have to part ways. Paul did. Paul and and Mark, they had to finally part ways. It just happens then there's got to be something inside of you that knows how to hold fast to what you believe. And not out of fear, kowtow of this, well, if I don't give in here, I'm going to lose this. If I don't compromise a little bit here, I might not be able to stay where I am. God didn't call you to compromise or try to build or have anything. He called you to proclaim a message. Just like the story I told you the other day when 
God had told a man to go take something to somebody in, a, in bad conditions, the dead of winter and all of that. And the man said, how am I going to get back? And God, he said, spoke to him and said, I didn't tell you to come back. That's kind of the way it is with us. We have a message. We find out what it is and we study it. It becomes our conviction. We stand on it. We live by it. It's evident as you watch. And that's what we live by. And it's going to be opposed. Somebody's going to come against you. He says here in verse 4, the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Isn't that something? He was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. So they said, well, how are we going to get rid of him? And they said, well, doesn't he every day at some time of the day throw the windows open and face towards Jerusalem and pray? Yeah. I'll tell you what, here's what we'll do. Let's get together and make up some kind of a rule that you can't do that. Let's take it to the king and, and convince the king that this is a good idea. Otherwise, if everybody gets to pray and everything else, they're going to leave you out, king. I mean, this is a good thing for us to do. Notice in verse 7, all the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and so forth, consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, except of you, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, the king didn't know what they were after, but these were wicked men. They were wicked rulers. They just want to get rid of Daniel. So the king didn't know that's what they wanted because he loved Daniel. And so he signed it, verse 9. Therefore, the king Darius signed the writing and the decree. And it said at the end of verse 8, whatever was signed like this, could not be altered or taken back. If he signed a law that said they shall die, anybody was caught, even if it was the king's wife, they had to honor the law. We call that legalism, but that's the way it worked. Everybody, the Bible says, everybody that lives godly in Christ is going to suffer. If you have convictions in this room, if you're sitting here tonight, have convictions. If you're convinced that what you believe is right, and that you're compelled to live it. And though anybody has says it any other way, you won't believe it. And you're convicted about the truth that you've been taught that's in your heart, that it's not up for sale, you can't buy you off, you won't compromise. This is your life and you're not going to change it. You can be sure the devil's going to come at you to try to stop you, destroy you, whatever he can. And the one thing like Daniel, the one thing that keeps us safe is staying true to what we've been taught. He said he was a faithful man. They couldn't find any fault in him. He honored the king. He didn't steal. He didn't lie. He didn't cheat. He didn't cut corners. He didn't whisper and talk about the king. He was different. He was living a life that all of us should live with regards to what we believe. And everybody that lives this way, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Shall suffer what? Persecution. From whom? The government, society, mostly from religious people. Paul's greatest persecution came from the Jewish community. I mean, that was who persecuted him. The Romans didn't care who he was anymore, and they cared who Jesus was. They had to bribe Judas to point out which one of them was Jesus. They didn't follow him around. He wasn't some historical figure that all the historians of the world wanted to write about. He was just a, a Jewish guy that never left, just stayed in that area and walked around and had a crowd. He made no name for himself. He was of no reputation. He wasn't anybody that people knew about. He wasn't trying to be anybody. Didn't the Bible say he made of himself no reputation? He said, I came to do the Lord's will for the ones he gave me to do it for. I'm not trying to gain the world. I'm not trying to build a church. I'm not trying to see how many people follow me. In fact, I told a lot of them, don't tell them I did it. That's who he was. And the Bible tells us that kind of humility that he had, we should have. That we're nothing. Paul said that pretty uh, plain. 
were nothing. We were sinners, lost, headed for judgment. And God, by grace, totally by grace, convicted us of our sins. We became aware of it. Showed us how to be saved. We last hold of it. And he changed our life. Turned us around and pointed us in a direction that is now, what a challenge. What a challenge. Why aren't every Christian, why aren't all church members who confess their belief and go, why aren't they living this way? Because it's not true faith. If you have it, don't judge them. Live it yourself. Do what you believe. Don't wait till everybody goes with you. Just do what you believe. Because everybody that lives godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to get hammered by somebody. You're going to be persecuted. But that's what true faith is. It's what causes you to be persecuted. But you know it's true when you don't give up. When you're unwilling to compromise, when you're unwilling to turn away, when you're unwilling to let go of what you believe, then you have the real deal. I remember, and I've said this, you know, I've been here all my life, so I've said it most all my life. But I remember when the issue was holidays, and somebody just challenged us. Well, look in an encyclopedia, because you won't find it in the Bible. You will not find a hint or a mention of the word Christmas in the Bible. You know, the Christmas is a Christ mass. You get that in the third century from the Catholics. They said, don't take my word. Go to the encyclopedia. Well, I was offended by that, I think. I said, where's my encyclopedia? Come here. Where are you? There it is. See, Christmas. And I uh, went down through there, and I thought, you know what? I can't believe that. But you know what bothered me? Just like when Daniel threw the windows open, knowing that a decree had just been made. If you open those windows toward heaven, they're going to be watching. They see you praying to your God. They're going to call the king, and you are compelled to die. Is it worth it, Daniel? I mean, for a simple prayer, don't you think you could kind of hide somewhere they couldn't see you and get out of the way and, and pray uh, like we do over our meals a lot of times? Bless his food in Jesus' name, amen. So nobody would know it. Let's don't tell anybody that we pray. You know, we know we ought to pray. <coughs> Thank you, amen. Nobody was offended. You're not singled out for what did you, what'd you do? What was that? Oh, you, you praying? Uh, <clears throat> well, were you or not? Were you? Yeah. Well, why are you trying to rub your nose and blink your eyes? And, and, and as though we, are you ashamed? Are you embarrassed that you're one of those that follow Jesus? Are you only good in the pulpit when everybody's watching? How are you when you're around another crowd? What do you do then? I remember once at an elk camp out in Idaho many years ago in 95. And that meal that night, everybody happened to be there. And then I was, I think I was the last one in. And uh, I thought, I've got to pray. But I don't need to stop everybody and say, wait a minute. Woo, whoa. Time out. I am fixing to pray. I didn't do that. That wasn't their manner of life. They didn't believe. They probably didn't do that. They didn't, probably didn't have a problem with it. And I remember I bowed my head and just kind of, you know, I know God isn't hard of hearing. And I know I'm not on a stage where I need to perform. But I do want to be grateful for whatever I eat because I'm not sure what everything before me is, what it is. So I want to make sure when I eat, I don't die. So I give thanks to the Lord. I thank you, Lord, for this food in Jesus' name. And, you know, next time I looked up, about, they had their hats off. Yeah, There's nothing wrong with that. And so I said, why don't you tell us you were, and they found out, what do you do for a living? You're a preacher. Oh, my goodness. Why don't you tell me the way we've been talking, and they talk pretty wild. I said, be yourself. I didn't come here for, you know, I came here to hunt. And y'all like to get saved, boy, we could do it right here in the yard. <laughs> For some people, though, they take offense at that. Well, you shouldn't pray out here. I mean, you got a church to pray in. 
Why do you want to do that for? And you know when, for some people, when you pray, you offend them. They get mad. They want to argue with you. They want to talk about God. Because everybody that wants to live godly in Christ Jesus is going to suffer persecution. And boy, when you start hacking on Santa Claus or the permanency of marriage. Oh, my. Today, when half of every marriage ends in divorce, it's just not a thing you do. Talk about non-resistance. Ask Brother John about non-resistance in a class at seminary. And he had to pray that he'd get home. <laughs> Maybe not exactly that dramatic, but I mean, but yes. But it wasn't exactly what everybody wanted to hear. I don't ask everybody to hold my convictions. I've debated a lot with a lot of people. I, I say, look, I know what I believe. I think you ought to know what you believe. And if you know what you believe and your heart's clean with it and good with it, hang in there. I'm not your enemy. I'm certainly not your adversary. But I'm not going to change mine to accommodate you. I don't want to be your best buddy. I'd rather know God like that. I want to do what I can for who I can, but I'm not going to change anything I believe for any of you or for her or for anybody else because it's God all of us have to stand before. When this life is over, I've got to stand before God just like you do and give an account for what I believe or why I didn't believe it or this or that or so on and so forth. We try to tell our kids when they're growing up as Christians, there are things out there you need to stay away from. It's a message of separation. How popular is that? Well, you're denying the poor things how to socially interact. You've got to allow them to get drunk or pregnant, don't you? You think, no, I don't, I don't think I want any of that in my family. I think I want to do whatever I can to come against that or against a man marrying a man. I grew up in the dark ages, obviously. Apparently, I grew up in a time when people walk around blinders on. Because what's going on today, our population would be greatly reduced if it was back then. I cannot believe that people are voting for the stuff they vote for, standing for the things they stand for. I'm in it, but I refuse to accept it. I believe a man marries a woman. I also believe that a woman marries a man. Otherwise, you ain't got no babies. And the church can't grow. Population ceases. And I never did figure out whenever they do get married. If they, I don't know what they say at a wedding. I haven't been to one. I won't go to one. Or whatever they call it, the union. I now pronounce you what? When it's over, what do you pronounce? I now pronounce you... Adam and Steve, or uh, him and him, her and her? Do you say to one of the men, you're a her and you're a he? <laughs> what do you say? Maybe you don't say anything. Well, we're not into that traditional stuff anymore. I'm sure of that. I'm sure of that. But Daniel, when you throw the windows open and you stand your convictions, and everybody knows now what you believe, and that you're not going to be ruled by the laws of this land, the king said, if you pray to anybody besides the king, you die. Are your convictions so strong that you're willing to die for them? Do you really have to be seen praying? I don't know if Daniel was, I don't think he was trying to defy the king. But there was somebody that he was more devoted to than the king. So he opened the windows and he prayed and the guys down there were watching him. So they run to the king. Oh, boy, king. King, king, king. Daniel believes in something besides you. Let me tell you something about your faith. Let me throw this in. Put your finger in Daniel just for a moment. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. Peter talks about the trial of your faith. That the trial of your faith being more what? Precious than gold that perishes, even though it is tested by fire, both your faith and the gold. That your faith, where he started, go to the end of the verse, said, may be found how? 
to praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus. How do you bring it to that? Through the test. That's a trial of what? In verse 7, the trial of your what? Trial of your faith. And he calls it precious. It's not a casual thing. Faith is not just a something. Yeah, it'd be good to have you. It's It's nothing like that. Faith is something that not all men have. Listen to me. Not all men have faith. Not all men are determined to trust the Lord with all their heart. I don't think all men can because they don't have the faith for that. They would dread the persecution. They would dread the harassment of those around them. The rejection of your friends and your past. That you would believe such stuff as they teach there? Healing? You really believe God heals? Well, if you believe that God heals, why don't you go to the hospital and just empty the hospital? Jesus didn't do that. Fact is said about Jesus for those that ask such dumb questions like that. He could in his own hometown do no mighty work except lay his hands on a few sick folk. And the next verse says, and he marveled at their unbelief. He was able, they just didn't believe it. So he went about their villages teaching after that in Mark 6. Because he wanted them to have faith. But if you have faith, it's going to be put to the test. And your faith is precious and it's worth staying with. Second thing, second fact about this faith, go to verse 16. Then the king commanded and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Why did they do that? Because they had come to the king from verses 10. Like he said, when Daniel knew this law was made, he prayed anyway. That didn't change his conviction. The laws of the land doesn't tell him what's right or wrong. The word of God tells him what is right or wrong. He honors the law until it, there's a clash. Are you with me? The law of the land doesn't tell me what's right or wrong. Washington, D.C. does not tell me what is right or wrong. The word of God is bigger and over all of that. I put that first. I will obey the laws. Romans 13. But if they tell me to do something or go in a different direction that would make me violate my conscience, you'll have to persecute me, prosecute me, or put me in jail. I cannot but honor the Lord. Well, they'll beat you and throw you. Who knows what they'll do? They probably will. Unless there's a powerful moment of faith rises up and I tell them you can't do anything in Jesus' name, then they just freeze. But anyway, that's another sermon. So he said in verse 16, they got Daniel, they brought him in. The king was terribly displeased with this in verse 14. He was really heartbroken. Now he knows what the law was about. He sees what's going on, but he can't do anything about it. These men assembled before the king. They told him what he had said, and you can't change that. And then the king, verse 16, commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, will deliver thee. Second fact is that true faith is always adequate and enough for any situation in this life you'll ever be in. You'll never be in any situation in this life in which God is not big enough or able by the use of your faith to deliver you out of. Amen. You got to have faith. You can't just assume, well, I'm a Christian. If I find myself running down in a den of lions coming, if God wants me out of there, he'll deliver it. It's not what he said. He didn't say leave it up to God. God said it's coming. But I'm going to show you how to get out of it. I'm going to give you some authority called Christian authority. How you can use the name of Jesus. How you can command trees to be taken up by the roots of this or that. Or you resist the devil and the devil will flee from you. There were some in Daniel, he said, they chose not to have that deliverance, waiting for the better one at the end. That was their choice. But the devil's going to come and start whacking on us and he's going to have a fight on his hands. I would like to think he would. I'm not willing to let down on my faith when he's told me what I can do and what belongs to me. I'm not willing to let go of that. 
I think the devil knows that he's limited as to how far he can go or how much space you'll give him. If you want to let the devil rule your life, that's your business. Most people do. They don't know they don't have to be ruled by the devil. They don't realize that. They always say, well, you know, God could and God is able and he has in the past and I know he can. So if he wants to, I guess he will. That's not the way we live. You're simply quoting facts. There's no faith in what you said. You just believe that, well, it's all up to God. Where's your faith? My what? Your faith. The thing that draws God into your crisis is your faith. I mean, if you don't exercise your faith, if you don't give God some faith, he's not going to give you any deliverance. Lord, why couldn't we cast the devil out, they said to Jesus. Remember that? Why couldn't we cast this demon out of this boy that was throwing him down and having some kind of a seizure? Jesus said, because of the littleness of your faith. What? Because you're not trusting me. You're not calling upon me. You're not speaking the word over this boy. You're just letting what's happened happen. Well, what's going on here? Do something about it. Speak the word only. Didn't the Bible say that? Didn't the centurion say that to Jesus? Speak the word only. My servant shall be healed. Whatever the devil's doing to my servant. In Matthew 8, whatever the devil's doing to torment my servant and make my life miserable too because I'm his boss. Everything that's going on with him in that realm of sickness, you have power over it. I've seen you heal people. Now, if you'll say, be healed, the power of your words will cause the devil to let go of my servant, and my servant will be healed simply because you said so. You know what Jesus said about that? He said, I haven't found that kind of faith in all of Israel. Most people need a feeling, a goosebump. A breath of fresh, a wiggle. Or if the ground's got to shake, or there's got to be something running through the room, then I know it's God. He didn't need anything but the word. Speak the word only. That's what will be put to the test. Jesus didn't question him, well, how do you know I'll do that? What makes you think that I can do that? He just simply spoke the word, and his servant was healed. Oh, would to God, after all these years, would to God that we were like that. We've been here for 30 plus years, and we're not even close to that. We've come and we've gone. We've been up, we've been down. We've been through and we've been out. We've rejoiced and had good moments. Praise God. We've had a place to meet and all, all these years, but we haven't come to that. It's almost like people still need something more than just the word, oh, I'm sure God, you know, but uh, it kind of scares me. We shouldn't be like that. Your faith is adequate. The faith that God has given you is able to cause trees to come up by the roots and be thrown into the sea. Didn't he say that? Matthew 17, Matthew 20, yeah. Mark 11, all of that is in here. Again, at the end of that 16th verse, he said, Darius said, your God will deliver you. How do you know that? How did a heathen king know that? You know what it was? Daniel's testimony so convinced the king of Daniel's relationship to God that the king said, God will surely take care of this man. He has an excellent spirit. He has no flaws. Your God will take care of you, Daniel. And that's the way it ought to be. Jesus said again to Peter, Peter, the devil has desired you that he might sift you as wheat. Remember that? Luke 22. He said, the the devil has desired you that he may sift you as wheat. But Peter, Jesus said, I have prayed for you. And guess what? The devil doesn't get you. Jesus didn't prevent the devil from getting him. In fact, I understand the Greek text says that the devil, by asking, has obtained you. And he was allowed. It's part of life if you're a Christian. And he said, the devil's going to sift you. 
He's going to throw you up and sift you because if you're like most people that whose lives he controls most, he knows that a little bit of this, you'll quit. You'll give up and quit. Well, I didn't know it was going to be this hard. Well, how long is it going to last? He knows you'll give up. You'll have a reason. People with the friends you have will talk you out of it. Who you associate with will console you about, oh, it is not fair. They'll do it. They'll be there. Devil knows that. He said, Peter, I have prayed for you. While all this is going on, I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Amazing. He didn't say that your love won't fail. He didn't say that your hope will give in. He didn't say that your, your kindness and thoughtfulness about me and all the good things you've said. He, he just said that your faith won't fail. Peter walked on the sea, didn't he? Why did he begin to sink? It didn't say he sank. It said he began to sink. Jesus grabbed him by the hair of the head and shook him real good and then raised him up by a hair and then he held him up on the water. No, he didn't do that. You know what happened? Jesus looked at him and said, Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? See, that's the enemy of what God is doing is the waves and the sea, Lord, look, and I was sinking, and I, I, I'm, I, I'm walking on water. I'm doing what you're doing. We're walking on the water, and, I, and he began to sink. Oh, Peter, why did you doubt? They woke him up in Mark 4, the end of the chapter. Lord, we're perishing. We're dying for sure. This is the big one. And Jesus woke up. Water must have been splashing everywhere. I mean, God made water, and he wasn't too concerned about it. He said, stop it. Peace, be still. Remember what Jesus said to him? He said, how is it that you have no faith? And they said, but Lord, this is serious. We could have died. Lord, have compassion. Be kind to us. We're, we love you. You know what he said? How is it you have no faith? Now, see how mean I am? Oh, he's so mean. No. That's what Jesus said. I don't know how he said it. He probably had to yell because it was loud and they were all going <laughs> like that. So he probably had to talk loud enough for them to hear him. How is it you have no faith? The tree, the fig tree, have faith in God. Every time he opened his mouth to teach his people, he's talking about faith. Talking to, to his disciples, it's all about faith. Over and over and over again, he said, all things whatsoever you ask in faith, believing, Matthew 21, you shall receive. Mark eleven twenty four. I think that's still in the Bible. Look at Mark 11 and verse 23. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, maybe it's a disease, a sickness, maybe it's a financial logjam, maybe it's a crisis in our country or the church or somebody in the room. Maybe it's something we weren't expecting, and here it comes, and now we got to deal with it. Here's what he said. Whosoever shall say to this problem or this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things he saith, it shall what? Now, he cannot lie. God is not a man that he should lie. The basis for our faith is that verse. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. Numbers 23. And he said, if you say to this mountain, if you say to your problem, maybe a sickness, I don't know what it is. Here he says a mountain. A mountain is an obstacle in your life. It's causing you great concern. It's in the way. It's holding something back. It's keeping you from enjoying or having Here's what he told you to do. He said, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And I promise you, most of the time when you talk that way, you feel silly. You ever talk to anything that doesn't breathe and walk? You ever talk to a car? How about a gas gauge? 
What about a garden? How about a fevered brow? Well, let me tell you, whatever the mountain might be, could be, or actually is in your life, you have the privilege, the proclaimed right from God to speak to it. You're welcome. Whosoever shall say, It shall come to pass. Whosoever shall say, oh, this doesn't look good. I think I've caught it. It shall come to pass. Whosoever shall say, I can't. It's about to wear me out. I thought I'd die. It's killing me. It'll probably come to pass. That's what you said, isn't it? That's what you believe. Out of the abundance of the heart, help me. The mouth speaks. But Jesus said, whosoever shall say to this mountain or this problem, be removed. And cast into the sea or cast into Hollywood or wherever you want it to go. And don't doubt in your heart that it won't happen. That means you're going to stand there and accept it's true what God said and what you said is true. Because God watches over his word. You hid his word in your heart. He watches over that word. You speak it. He backs it. What you bind, he binds. You're welcome for all of that. And you speak it and you just wait for God to do it. Because the next verse says, what things soever. Look at that, verse 24. What things soever. See, the mountain is a whatsoever. Do you see the connection? Specifically in one is a mountain, but he's referring to whatsoever you desire. When you pray, when you petition God, believe. We're in tennis shoe country now. It's where you take your shoes off and you dance. This is where you take off running. That's why you bring your tennis shoes to church. Because at the midst of a meeting, spirit falls, you got to run. What things ever you desire when you pray what? Believe what? Just say, well, I believe God. That's not what he said to believe. He said, believe what? What specifically did he say for you to believe? Believe that what you prayed for, you've got it. Well, how am I going to believe I've got it if I can't see it? Because faith is the evidence of things not seen. I don't believe it because I see it. I don't believe I'm healed because I feel healed because faith is not feelings. I don't believe my bills are paid because I've got all the receipts on my desk. I believe that God started doing the process of giving me whatever I need to take care of all these things. That mountain has to go if I believe it. And even though it doesn't look like it, like Jehoshaphat, I'm going to start rejoicing while the enemy's on his way because I know God's going to deliver me. There's not much of that today either. There's a fear. Now, don't y'all make me mad. But there is a fear in the church today that God might not do all of this. That we're hearing things because... Other people don't want to say it because they're afraid you might believe it's true. And if it's not true, you'll be disappointed. So the preacher's always making an option. Well, you know, it's good to trust God, but don't get your hopes up because after all, I mean, God may not want you to be well. He may not want you to be healed. Preacher, the Bible says, thy will be done on earth now where I live as it is in heaven where I'm going. Be no sorrow there in my, well, then I want the same thing now. Oh, you can't believe that. Give me a chapter and a verse. Tell me where in the Bible it says I cannot believe that. Tell me why doubt should replace my faith when it comes to the body that God made in a garden years ago. Tell me why the he that made it can't fix it. Let me quote you a bunch of scriptures. I didn't only quote you Psalm 41. That's enough. That's all I need. We've just let God become something, maybe, but not my life and my certainty of life. Your faith is adequate, folks. That is a fact. Your faith is adequate. Jesus said, if thou canst believe what? What did he say, Michael? All things are what? Possible. That's right. All things are possible. Based on what? You're believing it. It's like Mark eleven twenty four. When you pray, believe you have received what you asked for, 
And most people just ask and hope and just, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. They're not believing anything. They're just praying. They pray all night for the same thing over and over and over and over again. They use vain repetition because they have never believed they're going to get it. They broadcast well. They just don't tune in. The Bible says when you pray, what? Believe what? Believe you've got it. If I believe I have it, I, don't take me wrong here. If I believe I have what I prayed for, I don't care if you pray for me or not. Your prayer won't make it work better if I believe it. Do you hear me? If you care and you want to pray with me about it, fine. But if I connect with God, it's done. It does work that way. It just shows you how far we've gotten away from, from this portion of Scripture, this particular message in this hour in the church. God doesn't prevent us from being tested. God uses trials. He divinely arranges them like he did with Peter. The devil's asked for you, he gets you. Job, the devil's asked for you, he gets you too. But there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. 1 Corinthians 10. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tested beyond that which you are able. It'll never be bigger than you are. You just have to be determined to station yourself. Square yourself before God. Resist the devil, which is what, that, what I just described means. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. There's no retreat in the Christian life. We're going uphill without breaks. We don't go back. When you put your hand to a plow, you can't even look back. Does that scare you all? Does that make you not want to go more? Have I gone long enough? I'm just saying that what Jesus is looking for when he comes back. In Luke 18, 8, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith. That's what he's looking for. Mine, yours. Well, let me go back to Daniel. A third fact about true faith is that true faith will always bring deliverance. Daniel was in the lines. Let's look at verse 21. The king did not sleep that night. Verse 18. He rose early in the morning, verse 19, to go find out about Daniel. The king really liked the man. He really cared about him. And he ran over there and he said, Daniel, oh, servant of the living God, has God been able to deliver you, Daniel? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel. And has shut the lion's mouth, that they have not hurt me, for as much as before him innocency was found in me. And I also before thee, O king, I have done no hurt. I am not here because I deserve to be here. This was a scheme. There was no sin here. I don't have to put up with lions in a situation like that. Do you hear me? He probably cried out to God. And God sent his angels. Does the Bible say that in any other place? Is there a verse in the Bible that says that concerning us, God will give charge to his angels to keep us? Were they ever employed to strengthen Jesus? Yeah. Twice. In the temptation and then when he was about to go to the cross. He went so far he couldn't go any, any further, and God sent angels to strengthen him. We'll never know how close Daniel was to the nasty breath of a lion. We'll never know how challenging it was before it all stopped. But somewhere in all of that being there, and these lions came out there, and they have a horrible growl. As they got up close to him, whether he could see the angel or not, he knew that something from heaven had appeared in the lion's den and God who has control over all of nature, the sun, the stars, the water that Peter walked on, lions. The angels just said, shh, hush. Y'all go lay down. 
And they didn't touch Daniel all that night. Now, why? Well, he said he was innocent, didn't he? He said he was innocent. But notice also it says in verse 23, Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him because... Now, let me tell you all something. As you read that in your own Bible, if that would work then, it will ought to work now. I don't care where you go, what you're facing, who's after you, or what the consequences or the challenge or the cost is. If you're doing God's bidding, you have the Lord with you. You have his words with you. You may not use them, but they're there. You may let things happen because you don't think you can get out of it. Most in the world do. But you can overcome a lot of things simply by taking your stand against it. You can. And he said, because he believed in his God. How powerful is that? Matthew 15, it says, there was a woman of Canaan. She was a Syrophoenician lady, lived up in the coast there. She had a daughter that was impaired. She said, Jesus, son of David, do something about this. Nobody else can. And eventually he did. You know, the children's bread thing and the crumbs on the table, and they got that straightened out. And he complimented her because of her faith. She wasn't even a Jew. She wasn't even a Hebrew or Israelite. Like the centurion in Matthew 8, they weren't entitled to children's bread, but they got it. You know why? Because they believed. God has never held back what he's got from anybody who believes in him. We're sitting here tonight, folks. I don't know what bothers anybody. I don't know what you're facing, what you're looking at, or what concerns you. But you've got an answer in your lap. Uh, whether that's in your heart as a real deal, I don't know. But I know you've got 24 hours a day. You've got many chances to read, listen, and talk, and share, and examine yourself. And walk out of that room more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens you. You can do that too. We can all be Daniels. We must not fear the lion's den or taking a stand in this life for this or for that. That, whoa, what's going to happen to us? We don't have to fear that. We don't have to be like that. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? I think of that poor woman who had an issue of blood. Couldn't be stopped. I cannot, you know, being a man, I can't imagine. I don't even want to. And how really awful her life must have been. Who wanted to be around her or somebody like that? Besides that, when there was any kind of an issue by law, you were unclean. And when the issue stopped, you had to go through a purification, right? And then you were welcome back in society. She wasn't welcome in society. But nobody could help her. She spent all that she had on physicians and nobody could help her. So even at costing her her life, she went through the crowd, pushed them out of the way, and Jesus was walking. She touched him. That's all she did. She touched him. He touched me, but she touched him. And the Bible said it all dried up. Amen. Stopped. And Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? And they said, who touched you? Man, who, who hadn't touched you? He said, no, faith touched me. Virtue went out of me. Oh, I wish I had time to talk about that tonight. Jesus said, when faith contacts him, virtue, power of excellence goes out of him. I want that. We want that. I want to know that I can, with my hand, just the hem, if that's all, just the hem of his garment, touch him on his shoulder, whatever, and know that all that is about heaven flows because of my faith in doing that, comes in and makes me whole. Wow, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What a name. Who touched me? And that lady did. And then everybody looked at her as that nasty old woman. What's she doing here? She came here to get healed. Nothing else in society. She spent all the money she had on the medical world, and they couldn't help her. Nobody. 
She tried. But she came to Dr. Jesus. And his office hours were open. The fee was bearable. It was free. She got healed. Folks, what's left out of your life, my life? What's left out of our lives here tonight? What are we lacking? What is it? I know people talk about going in the missionary field. We just had a bunch of them go back. Folks, until you get alive in your heart with a totally convinced life about how to live by faith, I don't know if you want to do too much of that. I know when I went to India back in 80-something, and I remember before I went, I remember arming myself, covering my mind with the blood, and going over the verses of authority, because I was going into the land of the devil, I mean, where the devil was having his way. A whole nation that was under a curse. Just like most all of the world, the, the known world is under a curse. We don't like to say it that way, but it's true. I tell you, every anti-Semite, everybody who is anti-Jew or anti-Christian is under a curse. Everybody that honors you, I will honor. Everybody that curses you, I will curse. And think of how the world is trending in that direction today. We're living in the last days. If there was ever a time you need to get your heart wrapped around faith, it is right now. In closing, turn to Psalm 18 and verse 2. A very simple psalm. Not one you would stop to look up, but simply a verse that says this. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Everything I need to survive and prevail in this world, he is. Are you hearing me? He is all of that. And him in whom I will trust. My buckler, the horn of my salvation, that's a sign of authority. And my high tower, that's a place of safety. God is all of that. The last point I want to make about a fact of true faith, true faith will always praise or worship God. Give glory and credit to God. God is my everything. We sing that song. He is my everything. He is my all. Bow your head with me for a minute. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that the force and the power of your word, the anointing that you've put on it, you've said your word would not return void, so it has something in it when it goes out. I pray that as it has gone out tonight, it has found lodging places in fertile soil like good seed. That seed has been sown tonight. That your people do have something to think about. Something to be encouraged by. Something that would create hope in their life. God, deliver us from being stale. Give us the joy. Cause our faith to rise up and meet every challenge in our life. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.